All right. Thank you guys for being here. I'm going to stand down here. That's all right. Um, pray for you all very, very frequently, very regularly. That I pray for the staff that they would have unity. See me guarding myself because sometimes those things pop off in your face. Um, pray for the staff that they would have unity and that they would be encouraged, and for the church that it would be awakened and revived and grow, and for the search committee that God would keep them from the wrong steps and order their steps rightly and give them wisdom and commit to continue to do that uh, into the future. It's good to be here. Look forward to catching up with you. Um, but since Andy has got us on a strict time schedule that I'm going to ignore, you can turn to John chapter 3. I mean, how hard is it to say we ended 10 minutes late? Everything else ends 10 minutes, 10 minutes late. We all get the same amount of time. We just end 10 minutes late. So, okay. <laughs> Easy fix. John chapter 3. So the, the, the weekend focus is what we are calling the family of God. The family of God. So I started thinking about that and processing that. And what does it look like to be a family? Um, what does a family consist of? What is the anatomy of a family? So here's kind of where we're going this weekend. Um, in order to be part of a family, what has to happen first? Pop quiz question. Y'all are doing good. You got to be born, right? And then when we're born, we're born into a family, sometimes with brothers and sisters, usually with a mother, mother and father. And then we mature, right? We grow. And then after we spend some time maturing and growing, we get to a point where we then eventually reproduce, right? And we have our own children. And then when it's all said and done, we die, right? We die. So that's kind of where we're going to go this, this weekend. We're going to look at the anatomy of a family. We're going to start tonight. We're going to talk about being born, being born into a family. In John uh, chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Um, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the miracle of birth. We thank you for the greater miracle of spiritual birth. And I pray as we think about being part of this family that we clearly begin where it all begins in our lives with new birth. I pray that you would help us to see, to understand, and to walk away encouraged and challenged, enlightened, and by your grace transformed. We need your spirit to speak. We need your spirit to work. We need your spirit to move and to help me as I try to share 
and us as we listen. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we meet a guy in John chapter 3 by the name of Nicodemus, right? What do we know about Nicodemus? We know, first of all, Nicodemus was separate. He stood out from those around him. Begins in chapter 3 and verse 1 that there was a man of the Pharisees. That word Pharisee literally means separate ones. So Nicodemus was separate from those around him. These Pharisees were some of the most religious people of the day. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And we know that Jesus turned that around on him and talked about his self-righteousness. But Jesus never said those things weren't true. This characterizes a Pharisee. A Pharisee is someone in the Bible who was not an extortioner. He was not unjust. He was not an adulterer. He was someone who tithed regularly. He was someone who was faithful to pray. He was someone who was faithful to fast. He was someone who was faithful to go to the synagogue. This was a good man. This is a type of man Nicodemus was. He was separate. But not only was he separate, but he was also successful. It goes on and says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And the Jewish Sanhedrin was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. It was made up of 71 Jewish men who were elected by popular vote. And in order to even be on the ballot, that man had to be from the right family and he had to be someone who was successful. So Nicodemus is not only someone who was born to a good, respectable family, but he's someone that the people put confidence in and that they voted for to be part of their ruling body of the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was separate from those around him. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He was very religious. He was very successful, a member of the ruling party of the Jews. And I think we see in verse 2 that he was also very sincere. This man, verse 2 says, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus admits that we know there's something special about you. But I think his sincerity is seen not in just what he said, but when he said it. You see, the other Pharisees come out to Jesus in broad daylight in the crowd, and they begin to ask him questions that they think may trip him up, or may surprise him, or may catch him off guard, or may embarrass him. But Nicodemus does not approach Jesus in the daylight. Nicodemus does not approach Jesus amidst the crowds. Nicodemus comes to Jesus alone, and he comes to Jesus at night Why? Because he didn't want anyone else seeing him there. And why did he not want anyone else seeing him there? Because he was sincere and he didn't want his fellow Pharisees to know that he was really intrigued and interested in this man, Jesus. He was sincere. There was no doubt that we would call Nicodemus a good man. And I believe as much as we can be good, he was a good man. But notice what Jesus said to him in verse number 3. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus cut right to the heart of the matter. Nicodemus, you may be a really good man. Nicodemus, you may be a very religious man. Nicodemus, you may be a very successful man from the right kind of family, raised with the right morals and the right values. Nicodemus, you may be sincere in your interest of who I am. But the fact of the matter is, Nicodemus, you have been born a child of the first Adam who fell and sinned in the garden and you were with him, you were in him in the garden and you were his You are his biological great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson and you have inherited from him his sin nature and his guilt and his death sentence that he imposed on all of us when he sinned in the garden. And therefore, Nicodemus, as the son of that first Adam, that born once man, you are destined for hell. You see, what we need is not to be reformed. We don't need to be reformed. We need to be reborn. And being born again is being born from above. It's something that God does. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In John 1, 12-13, it says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? God. Being born again It's being born from above. It's something that God does in our heart. It is being born anew. It is a complete change of heart. This is not a heart bypass surgery that God does to help us function better. This is a heart transplant where He takes out our defective heart, the heart that we inherited from Adam, and He puts in us a new heart that we get from the last Adam whose name is Jesus. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20 says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and then they will be my people and I shall be their God. We are physically born with the first Adam's nature, sinful. We must be spiritually born again to receive the last Adam's nature, spiritual. Are you tracking with me? Has it been too long? Am I talking too fast? Have you forgotten to listen fast? We're physically born with the first Adam's nature, which is fleshly. We're born again, and we receive the last Adam's nature which is spiritual. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things come. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, 
we all smile at that and think we get that. But let's just think about Nicodemus. It's the first time this guy's ever heard anything like this. And he asks a question that we may snicker at and that we may think is silly, but if we were brutally honest and transparent, it's probably a question we would have too if we didn't have some of the Christianese background that we have, right? In verse 4, Nicodemus asks, or he says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? This is really a common sense question by Nicodemus. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be born all over again. And Nicodemus is going, how is that possible? I can't crawl back into my mother's womb and be born all over again. And then Jesus gives some insight into what he means in verses 5 and 6. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Is this not the first milestone in a family? Birth. Well, it's the first milestone in our spiritual family too. Birth. That's what we're going to do for the rest of our time tonight. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the anatomy of birth. I know we're all in here together and the kids are here, but it's going to be safe, trust me. We're going to look at the anatomy of birth. I mean, this is so important. Think about this. This is so important that Jesus says, you can be the most religious guy in town, Nicodemus. You can be the most successful guy in town, the most respected guy in town, Nicodemus. You can be the most sincere guy in town, Nicodemus, and you will die and go to hell unless you are born again. And he could look at any one of us here this evening in this room and say the exact same thing, that you must be born again. You can walk down the aisle and you can repeat the sinner's prayer word for word and go to hell if you haven't been born again. You can get baptized by sprinkling or immersion or both. And you can go to hell if you've not been born again. You can join the church. You can be a good person. You can live a good moral life. You can become a deacon. You can teach Sunday school. You can memorize the songs. You can lead a D group. You can preach in the pulpit. You can do any number of things. But the way you get to heaven is by being born again. Because that's what takes the heart of Adam and the nature of Adam and replaces it with the heart of the last Adam and the nature of the last Adam. Jesus, we must be born Again, so let's look at the anatomy of birth. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to admit up front that I come at this from a little bit of a different perspective. Okay? So we'll say that up front. I come at this with a little bit of a different perspective. It makes perfect sense to me. And since I'm up here talking, you've got to listen to what makes sense to me, okay? You don't necessarily have to agree with it. But I'm going to show you why this makes sense to me. Here, you know, the Bible is in written language. And if you send text messages, you've all, you have all been guilty of sending that text message. It was absolutely innocent. And someone read it with a tone that you didn't send it in. And it starts a squabble that lasts till Christmas, right? Because we can't hear the tones in text messages. And we can't hear the tones... In this text either. 
So I'm going to read this the way we often read it, and I want you to listen to it. And then we're going to back up and I'm going to read it like I think it should be read. And then I'm going to explain to you why I think it should be read the way I read it. And then we're going to look at the anatomy of birth. Verse 5, Jesus answered, this is how we normally read it, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Sound right? Here's how I think it's intended to be read. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Do you notice the difference? We can run them together like they're talking about the same thing, water and the Spirit. Or we can say, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. What happens when a baby is born? What do we say? The water breaks. I say water. I was preaching in New Jersey this past week on another text that must have water in it. I said water. Water in Mississippi is water up here in New Jersey. So I had to interpret. But I don't think I need to interpret for you. You've heard me say water. Water before, right? <laughs> Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So let's just look at what Jesus says right here, okay? Jesus says... You must be born of water. And if you interpret it my way, that's common sense, right? If you haven't been born of water, you're not here tonight, right? And the what? Spirit. The reason I interpreted this to mean physical birth and this to mean spiritual birth is because of the following verse. Now, if you read a lot of commentaries, those commentaries will say this is referring to the washing of water, of baptism, and the Spirit. That's what a lot of them will say. My commentary doesn't say that. It hasn't been published yet, so it may not count. But my commentary says water is referring to the flesh, and the Spirit is referring to the Spirit. Why? Because if you read on, verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see what Jesus just did right there? I want to propose to you that Jesus is telling us, is hinting to us, that there's two births. One is of the water and the flesh, natural birth, and one is of the Spirit, the Spirit which is supernatural birth. But they both have the same anatomy. They have the same process. The same system. How does birth begin? Again, I, I told you it was going to be safe in here. It's going to be safe. But we could say birth begins. And I'm going to write this down so you can track with me because I, I know that I'm uh, maybe in another land sometimes. But birth begins with conception, does it not? Conception. And what happens in conception? Besides your marker and doesn't write, we got to back up. Have y'all ever seen me throw a marker? I'll tell you what, let's do it this way. We start with conception, okay? In conception, the seed conceives in the egg. In a sense, it takes root in the egg, in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm... The seed has to take root 
in the heart. What did Jesus say in the parable of the sower? He said, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed his seed. And some of the seed fell on hard ground, and the birds of the air swooped down and took it away. Some of the seed fell on on the shallow soil, and it immediately sprung up. But because of the scorching sun and because it had shallow roots, it quickly withered away and died. But some of the seed fell among thorns, and it grew up, and it looked like it was going to do pretty good. But the thorns and the weeds choked it out, and it died, and it didn't bring forth fruit. But some of the seed fell on good soil. It was conceived in good soil. And it grew, and it brought forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. When the Word of God is sown in a heart, there is conception. When the Word of God is picked up by the Holy Spirit of God, it is applied to a heart, and it touches a heart, and it pricks a heart. The Word of God is conceived in that heart just as the seed of a man is conceived in a woman, and conception happens. And what has to happen after conception takes place? We've got to have some time here now. Don't jump ahead. I mean, hold on. Development, right? That seed has to develop. How does the seed develop? Well, let's think about what has to happen when the seed develops. The seed has to be protected, does it not? I mean, you don't find out you've conceived... And then you go out and drink pints of whiskey and booze and use drugs and have people... You don't do MMA fights when you're pregnant, right? You try to protect that, that conceived child. You try to protect it from harmful substances. You try to protect it from trauma. And I want to propose to you that when the seed of the Word of God is conceived in our hearts, we treat it the same way. We need to protect it. Because if we don't protect protect it, what did Jesus say? The birds of the air will swoop down and they will snatch it away. The sun will scorch it. The thorns will choke it. It's like everything. Please listen to me, young people, so I don't have to pop your heads together to hear this. Everything is out to suck the life of the Word of God out of your heart. Everything is trying to keep the seeds of the Word of God from developing in your heart. We protect that seed and we feed that seed, don't we? We feed that baby. You've always you've heard that mama who's eating too much. She says, well, I'm eating for two. And you resist the urge to say, well, you're eating enough for three. You know, you don't do that, right? We want to we feed that baby something more than little Debbie cakes, Right? We want to feed that baby healthy foods, plenty of drink, take prenatal vitamins, all those kind of things, so that the baby can continue to grow and develop. I propose to use the same thing in the spiritual realm. When the Word of God conceives, we not only want to protect it, but we want to provide for it nourishment. We want to continue to feed and nurture and nourish that seed so that it can take root and grow strong and, God willing, eventually bear fruit. But what happens a lot of times in our world, 60 million babies, what happens to 60 million babies? They get aborted by so-called... Physicians. And I want to propose to you that there have been a lot of people, especially in Southern Baptist churches, who had the Word of God conceived in their hearts, and a so-called physician, pastor, 
aborts that seed before it's had time to develop and actually bring forth fruit. Oh, you're thinking about, you're thinking about Jesus? You, you better pray right now. Pray right now and ask Jesus into your heart right this moment. Well, I'm not, no, now. I mean, you could go out the door and die right now in the street. You better do it now. And they pressure them and they push them to hurry up and pray the prayer so they can get them baptized and jot down a number, not ever realize that they walk out the door they've never seen again. They've not had a change of heart. They've just been inoculated to the gospel. They've been given a vaccine right here by the pastor so that the rest of their life, when they hear the gospel, it doesn't take root. They've been inoculated. That pastor unwittingly, unknowingly, ignorantly performed an abortion. Unfortunately, some babies don't develop because they miscarry. Something's not right. Somehow, and they miscarry. And sometimes I would propose to use the same in the spiritual realm. We hear the Word of God. It takes root. It ta- we begins to prick our hearts and we go out. And it seems like it's going to grow and it miscarries. Because of that scorching sun that Jesus referred to as the pressures and persecutions of those around us. Or it miscarries because of the thorns and the weeds, Jesus said, or the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life that just choke it out and keep it from fully developing. Are you, are you tracking with me? But God willing, after the baby's conceived and after the baby develops, what happens? Delivery. The water breaks. The dad panics. They all jump in the car. You're like Manny. The first time her water broke, I'm like, get in the car, get in the car. So I just need to put on a little makeup and fix my hair. I don't think you see anything big. I don't think, it's big. Let's go. I'm not doing this here. Right? I'm the guy they will out of the room, you know, because I'm about to go down. The physical birth officially happens when the baby is delivered, right? Generally about nine months. The spiritual birth happens not when the water breaks, but when one breaks into spiritual life. Their hearts are transformed. Listen carefully. They no longer love the things they once loved. They now love the things that they once despised or ignored They're a new creation, and they they can't fully explain how it even happens. I can't even fully explain how it happens. You can't fully explain how it happens. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The physical birth may take nine months, but with the spiritual birth, there's no pattern. There's no pattern. Sometimes, sometimes, the Word of God is sown in a heart the people that hear are pricked to the heart. They, they see their sin. They see their Savior. They repent. They believe. They're transformed. Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches. 3,000 people saved. Happened in a moment. But there, the soil of their heart had been tilled and prepared. There's other cases where I know of a Saudi Arabian man who was a student in the U.S., and he lived with American families who were obviously trying to expose him to the Word of God. They invited him to their Bible studies. They shared the gospel with him. 
goes back to Saudi Arabia, a Muslim, and 12 years later, 12 years later, his heart is transformed. And he calls that family and he tells them, I believe. There's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes it happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Sometimes it happens over a period of weeks or a period of months or even a period of years. Sometimes it comes with much wrestling and striving and developing. Sometimes we must labor for a long time before birth comes. In John 16, 21, Jesus says, Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Sometimes we labor, but when we're born again, there's joy. The striving, the labor is worth it. By faith, we believe if we hear the word and we protect the word and we feed our souls, then by God's grace, He will bring forth the fruit of the new birth in His time. Let's not prematurely deliver or miscarry or abort the spiritual fetus, but let the great physician induce spiritual labor when He chooses. There's a reason that He's the great physician and we're not. What happens when that baby's delivered? Gets a little spank. And what does he do? Cries out. You know what happens when we're born again? When we're born again, we cry out. Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. We will be saved. With a mouth, one confesses. With the heart, one believes. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our cry is, is what we would call conversion. Conversion. It's where we repent of our sin... And we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. The, word, the seed of the Word of God has been conceived in our hearts. That seed develops maybe over a period of months, maybe years, maybe, maybe weeks, maybe days, maybe seconds or moments. just depends on the heart. But when it's ready, the great physician induces and we are delivered. We are, the theological word, regenerated. We are born again. We are made a new creation. And the first thing we do when we are given spiritual life is we cry out. We convert. We repent of our sin. We turn away from our old attitudes, our old actions, our old affections. And we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We repent and we believe. And there's three things that happen simultaneously almost. We are converted and then we are justified. We're justified. That moment. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of 
God. We enter into this faith through conversion and we are justified. And what that word justified means is you can drop dead without ever doing a good deed at that moment and you will step into the presence of Almighty God, perfect, holy, and righteous, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Not because of what you've done, you had not had time to do anything, but because of what Jesus has done. You are made right with God. You get His perfect, righteous record. We're converted, we're justified, and we're adopted. We're adopted. Galatians 4, 4-6, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth the Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, how many of you, ladies gave birth to a child and then had to turn around and go to court to adopt that same child. That's ludicrous, isn't it? Nobody does that. Nobody but God. He births us. We are born into His family. And then He says, I'm going to make make this double legal. Not only are you born into my family but I'm going to adopt you legally. You're going to be double mine. Born and adopted. This is the first first part of what it means to be part of a family. You have to be born. What's this have to do with us here tonight? Well, it has everything to do with us tonight because we don't have anywhere to go the rest of this weekend if we haven't been born into the family. If we haven't been born again into the family of God. And I want you to listen very carefully. We're, We're wrapping up. But it is possible that some of you here tonight had the Word of God sown in your heart at some point in your life. And that Word conceived. And yet a pastor prematurely delivered you before you had developed and before the great physician induced. And now you've been playing this game so long You've been playing this game so long that you just can't say anything about it tonight. I mean, you've been been doing this for years, and and there's no going back now. Surely God will understand. Or maybe, maybe the Word of God was conceived in your heart, and you did not protect what you heard. You didn't nourish it patiently. You began to fill your mind and fill your heart with other things, then Satan swooped down and snatched the seed away, or the, or the persecution and pressures pushed it away and scorched it, or the cares of this life and the riches of this life and the pleasures of this life choked it out. But you failed to protect what you heard and nourish it and labor until true birth took place. You just you wanted fast food religion. I mean, that's what the preacher was selling. You pull to the, to the speaker and you say, I want to go to heaven. And you pull to the front window and the Lord takes your money. You say, Lord, save me. And you pull to the second window and He hands your happy meal out the window to you and you go on your business. You wanted fast food salvation. You didn't want to labor. You didn't want to strive. You didn't want to pray. You didn't want to seek. You didn't want to be in the Word. You didn't want to hunger and thirst after righteousness until there was a breakthrough and God transformed your heart. You've been playing the game. And now you know why your desires are no different than your neighbor's desires. 
Now you know why your heart is no different than the world's. You're a separate person on the outside. You're a good, successful, church-going person. You're sincere about your religion. I mean, I read my Bible. I'd go to my D group. I'd do my religious stuff. But you know, you know, right now tonight, you know, God's Spirit is testifying to your heart right now that you have not been born again. And this is step one to be part of the family of God. And it's time tonight, as we get started this weekend, if that's you, to just stop playing the game. It's not a game. Stop playing the game because it's not a game. And meditate on the reality that we serve a God who is perfectly holy and righteous and sinless. And His standard for us is perfection and holiness and sinlessness. And that puts us in a very bad place because there's not one of us in this room who is perfect and holy and sinless. We have all sinned and come short of God's glorious standard. But Jesus Christ came to this earth and He lived the perfect, sinless, spotless, righteous life that God requires and demands of you. And He went to the cross and He died on the cross for your sin. God the Father poured out on Jesus His judgment because of our sin. And Jesus said, it is finished. He was buried in a barred tomb and He rose on Sunday morning so that every person in this room under the sound of my voice who would turn away from their sin and put their faith in Jesus and cry out to Him can be part of the family of God. If Elon Musk walked through those back doors... And he picked any one of you out and he said, I want to give you every one of my stocks, all of my assets, and my entire bank account for all of your debt. Only a fool would not take that deal. And yet Jesus is in this room and he's saying to you, I will give you all of my righteousness and my perfection and my holiness for all of your sin and all of your iniquity and all of your transgression." In all of the judgment. And yet some of us will be a fool. And say, I'll just, I'll just do it my way. I'll just do it my way. There is no other way. Has the word of God taken root in your heart tonight? Has it developed? Is the Lord delivering you? Then call upon His name. Repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in Him. And tomorrow we'll see what the family should look like that we're born into. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the good news that though we are wretched and sinful and hopeless and helpless and dead in our trespasses and sins, yet Jesus Christ came to offer us life. And not just life, but life abundantly. Help us, Lord, to see us as you see us. Help us to see our true spiritual condition here tonight. And if there's a person here who's not been spiritually reborn, I pray that you would move them and motivate them to protect and guard the seed of the gospel that has been sown in their hearts tonight and may they feed it and nourish it 
until they're born again by grace through, your, through faith in you. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your help as we look at your word and we'll praise you for whatever you're doing tonight in our hearts and in our lives. For you alone are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.